Happy New Year, women of strength. Can you believe it? It is January 2021. We are recording this in the past. And right now, I hope our future selves in January of 2021 are in living in a lot better world than we are in right now, October 2020, because things are a little nuts right now. Let's be honest. 2020 hasn't been the most ex- the most best. I would say, I was going to say most exciting, but exciting could be also not good things. So it's definitely been a tumultuous year. We could say that. So hopefully 2021 brings us good fortune and lots of love and kindness and health. But for our first episode of 2021, I'm missing Megan again. Do you remember a couple episodes ago when I told you that she was out with some family stuff? Well, this is the last episode where she'll be out. But I kind of really like having our VBAC doulas co-hosts with us. So you'll probably have some more VBAC doula co-hosts in the future. And our co-host for today is the birth wizard herself, Emmy Howard, who lives in Phoenix, Arizona, aka three feet above hell. And I can say that because I live there. It's the surface I don't know, of the Can spine. I say hell on the podcast? I know, right? Like, I lived there for a year. It was like, I just, I came to Utah to visit my mom during the summer and it was 90 degrees. And I was like, this is so nice, this temperature. Uh, That's so funny. Um, anyways, sorry, I digress. But the cool thing about Emmy is she has lived on three different continents and visited over 20 countries. And Emmy, I've got to ask you, what was your favorite country that you visited and what three continents have you lived on? I've lived on North America, South America, and then Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, the favorite country is a really rough one to answer because you're essentially asking what part of my life I've loved the most. So oh. I essentially tell people I love them all, just like children, for different reasons. Um, <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> so the thing I will say is that I have like a special place in my heart for when I lived in Poland just because um, mm. I got to travel the most when I was living there. So that's awesome. I visited Germany once for Christmas. It was really cool. Like Germany at Christmas time is a really special place. Did you go um, to Christmas markets? Sorry. Dude, like three times because my yes. si- I went to visit my sister in Heidelberg and they have okay. Heidelberg Castle in the courtyard, the old like castle courtyard. They have a whole bunch of shops and the Christmas markets were just crazy. And I would go and I would eat like six bratwursts every time. I'm like, I'm eating bratwurst in Germany at Christmas time. <laughs> so I love Glühwein. That's actually something I still do at Christmas time, even though we're not at the Christmas markets anymore, which is uh-huh. hot spiced wine. And let me tell you, that thing like warms you up on the inside and feels like a hug from your drunk uncle. It's great. Um, <laughs> and then uh, fresh, like freshly like toasted um, chestnuts while you're walking uh-huh. around. Man, it's awesome. But, you know, I you talked that. about how you moved away from Phoenix because of its heat. I moved to no, Phoenix. No, I, I joined the heat. army. Oh, the well, there you Phoenix. go. I moved to Phoenix for my boyfriend. I got kicked out <laughs> of the house two weeks after my 18th birthday. That's a really long story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll even... get into that one later. Over later. Much, later, later. much, much later. <laughs> but I moved here um, because of the sunshine. I came from a place that had three hours of sunlight. So I was like, that place. Alaska? That, no, no, Poland. During uh, during oh, winter, you only oh. get three hours of sunlight. So that's part no, of the reason I could that not brought do me that. out of here. Could no. not do that. Mm-mm. No, 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 no. 
All right, before we get started, we are going to have the birth wizard herself, Emmy, read our review of the week. Awesome. From Jam Jam 19807 on Apple Podcasts. They say, inspiring. My first C-section was in August 2019. I recently found this podcast and I find these so- stories so healing and inspire. I am so pumped to get pregnant again. Woohoo! And try for my VBAC. I hope I can share my successful story, VBAC story on the show in the future. Thank you for educating the world on VBAC. Oh, I love that. I love that. Do you know what? It's so fun. I remember when Megan and I first started the podcast and we would literally, I say we, but really it was just me. Um, I would go stalking feedback hashtags on Instagram and message people and be like, hey, we just started a podcast. Will you share your feedback story? And like, and like begging people to record with us. And I remember the first time we had one of our, like somebody who had been listening to the podcast while they were pregnant with their VBAC, (gasps) share their story on the podcast. And that was like such a special moment for me. Like, I don't know. And so I think it's really cool. And so all these, yeah, all these people that leave reviews, I just, I love it. I want them to submit their story. I want to hear their journey. Sometimes if their name like looks like it might look on Facebook, like it's their real name, I'll go like look them up and like see if they're see if they're in our community and see if they have had their baby yet and how it went and did they get their feedback and like what was their story because I like to have like the full circle you know it feels like coming full circle right yeah so I, I do the same I always yeah. do the same because I I do a thing where people can talk contact me whenever and I'll answer your feedback questions it's a half hour that I do mm-hmm. and then if they don't follow up with me I just I just stalk them. Um, You're just like, what happened to you? Right. With with love and care. I just want to make sure that you're okay and that you got everything you needed and wanted. So, yes, I completely understand that. (laughs) All right. We love those reviews. You are tuned in to the VBAC Link podcast with Julie Francom and Megan Heaton, VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. Do you want a VBAC but don't know where to start? It's easy to feel like we need to figure it all out on our own. That's what we used to do, and it was the loneliest, most ineffective thing we have ever done. That's why Megan and I created our signature course, How to VBAC, the ultimate preparation course for parents that you can find at thevbaclink.com. It is the most comprehensive VBAC preparation course in the world, perfectly packaged in an online self-paced video course. Together, Megan and I have helped over 800 parents get the birth that they wanted, and we are ready to help you too. Head on over to thevbacklink.com to find out more and sign up today. That's thevbacklink.com. See you there. All right. So speaking of world travelers, I think this is a great matchup with the co-host and our guest because our guest today is Haley Campbell from New Zealand. And let me tell you, oh my gosh, I am so excited. 
I'm just going to mute myself and sit here and listen to her talk because I just absolutely love the New, uh, New Zealand and Australian accents. In fact, when I was young, I, I just knew that I was going to grow up and marry somebody from Australia so I could hear him tell me I love you in the Australian accent <laughs> every day, right? Like I was 12 and in my little church group, like we wrote a letter to our future husband. And then like at the very bottom of my letter, I wrote like, P.S. I hope you're from Australia. Like no joke. I did that. <laughs> oh so um, I'm going <laughs> to... I don't want to take too much of Haley's time. Gosh, I should probably look up her <laughs> information sheet. Honestly, my favorite thing about her is that she's from New Zealand. I haven't even, I don't really know that much about her yet. Let's see. Mother of three boys and one little girl. She lives in Auckland, New Zealand. And she has a birth photography business. Oh my gosh. I think I stalked you on Instagram, actually. NZ Birth Stories. Yeah. Um, and that's your fifth baby. Perfect. I love that. And you have such a passion for photography. Photographing. My goodness. My goodness. How how hard is it for me to talk today? Let's let's put that on a scale of one to ten. And being immersed in the birth world. And do you know what? I've honestly really considered switching from being a birth doula to a birth photographer, just because it feels like it would be less of a workout. Maybe, but talking to some of my <laughs> I was talking to some of my birth photographers here, like I don't know, like we're climbing up on couches and there is a bit of climbing, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, I'm really excited to hear your story. I know the birth in Australia is a little bit different than it is here in the United States, but there are a lot of similarities too. And so I don't want to take up any more of your time because I like to do that because I like to talk. And this is my adult interaction for the day. Um, so, so Haley, talk to us. Please talk to us. All right. So my VBAC that, I had, that I'm going to talk about today was my second VBAC. My first one was a hospital birth. My second one, I decided to plan a home birth because the first one went really, really well. But this baby decided she did not want to come out. <laughs> she was very, very naughty. So we got to, I think it was 41 and 5. And I decided that, okay, it was probably time to head into the hospital. Discussed it all with my midwife. And she was very pro home birth, but obviously very pro my rights. And we decided to go in and just see how things were going, possibly break waters and just get things started and head home. But when I stepped foot in the hospital, I started contracting. <laughs> so it was like she was just waiting for me to show up there. And I didn't actually need any more assistance. I didn't need to be induced in the end. And we just went about setting up the hospital room just as if it was a home birth. Because we were thinking to go home, but... I then had a call from my mum who was looking after my kids while I was in and she said that the birth pool had been picked up from our house. <laughs> so, well, we'd run out of time with it really. So we decided just to set up camp at the hospital and I walked about a zillion laps of the hospital, which really, really helped. I think the difference between that and my previous VBAC was, yeah, I think just keeping active, keeping upright and moving just help things progress a lot better. So we headed in, that was around eight in the morning that we headed in there and walked for a good 
few hours. And then around lunchtime, we decided to jump in the pool. Um, well, I did. <laughs> My husband was not very keen. We jumped, I jumped in the pool and laboured in the water for quite a long time. I had decided against continuous monitoring and just asked my midwife to check in on baby quite frequently. Um, she was quite happy to do that. And the water was just such a relief. It was so, so great as pain relief. With my previous labours, I had opted for an epidural very early on, but this time I was really hoping to push through that and use you know other methods of coping with the pain and the water was just amazing um so I spent quite a few hours in the water but as I sort of got into early evening things were slowing down which can be sometimes quite common for um you know when people jump in the water and so we we jumped out and I was assessed and things sort of weren't weren't progressing too fast but we weren't worried so I spent quite a bit of time with my midwife doing a lot of spinning babies moves. We did lots of hip squeezes and she got my husband in there and he said that really killed his arms doing that over and over again. Um, but we did loads of that, loads of hip rotations on the ball and that just, that actually got me through a lot. And I started to feel quite pushy, I think coming into, I think it was around eight at night, I started to feel like, okay, things are are starting to feel like they're progressing. I started to become very vocal. <laughs> I think I even remember screaming, please help me <laughs> at one point because my previous labours had all been with an epidural. So I had never reached transition in all its glory, you know, naturally. And so that was that was an experience, but it was really great to be able to feel the need to push and um, to feel my body moving into that that next stage of labour. So I did I did push for a little while, and then as I started pushing, my waters broke. They hadn't broken fully. When they, they popped them the first time, she thought that she had popped them, but it, I, I, there was actually like a second bag that ended up breaking. I just always hold a lot yeah. of fluid. Yeah, um, like the four, there's like a four bag and a hind bag, and sometimes like baby's head can can block the rest of the water from coming out. It's pretty fun when people realize that or have that second gush of fluid come out. <laughs> it was crazy. I thought, where is this all coming from? <laughs> I'm a very small person. But anyway, yeah, when that, when that broke, instead of her head coming down into the pelvis, her head shot out of the pelvis. So, yeah, that was just so great. So when I was rechecked, I ha I'd previously been checked before I began pushing. And I was fully dilated. So I was ecstatic to reach that point, you know, just using other forms of pain relief. But when her head shot back out of the pelvis and I was rechecked, I was then seven centimetres. And I just thought, no, come on, we've come all this way. And I was just stuck in this limbo of transition. And so we all had a discussion and I could see some more doctors sort of starting to file into the room and I just thought no I know what's happening here <laughs> and so I opted for an epidural at that point and I thought if I'm going to sit in the state of transition for quite a while then I'm going to need to rest and so I chose to have an epidural and it was the best decision I made. We opted for a bit of passive descent and used we call it 
syntocin over here. I think you guys call it pitocin over there. Yeah, pitocin. Yeah, yeah. So we we had that cranked up and got those contractions, bringing baby back down, and that went on for another five hours. So I was so glad I got that epidural. And, oh my gosh, you poor thing. That's a long well, time. <laughs> it was. She was a naughty baby. She still is. <laughs> and so yeah, that that really did do the trick, and she. Came down and I began pushing at, oh, I think this must have been about two in the morning by this point. It was a very long labor. And then I, I still had a good 45 minutes of pushing. I was expecting, you know, fourth baby to, you know, one or two. <laughs> no, about 45 minutes later. But she was she was a bit bigger she was nine pound and so and I'm I'm very very I'm five foot and very small and the big baby thing never worried me at all that never crossed my mind but I just knew that I was really going to have to work because she was she'd been in a funny position as well the whole time so I was really working to get her out and I, I was keeping an eye on these doctors that were in the room and I could see the little whispers and you know the c-section word getting brought up and that was it as soon as I heard it come out come up once I pushed and I've never pushed like that in my life and this big chubby head emerged and I just saw the relief on my husband's face that because he was just as behind this feedback as I was because I mean Mm -hmm. we'd obviously experienced um, cesarean recovery which is fine but I just I had these you know other kids at home that I really needed to be able to pick up and so we really, we really, um, I really dug deep in the end, and she was asynclitic, so her head did come down on a really weird angle. But then she was born at three thirty in the morning, and it was just so epic. And I looked at her and I thought, "Well, you, you look massive." <laughs> but <laughs> I've seen nine and ten pound babies be born, and they look like little sumo wrestlers, or yeah, or like a toddler. You're like, hey, congratulations, here's your two-year-old. Oh, it was the <laughs> head on her. She was just huge. And my husband showed me he'd taken a video. I really wished I'd got a birth photographer. I really wished I had because this <laughs> video is very graphic. But he, uh, her head is just so big. It's just so big. <laughs> but it was just, it was such an amazing birth. You know, it was hard. It was definitely, oh, I wouldn't say it was the hardest, but it was a very hard, long birth. But the whole time... I was just, I felt like I was in control of the decisions being made and I felt empowered because I had my amazing support team behind me and my midwife that was just just behind me every step of the way. Over here in New Zealand, it's predominantly midwife-led mm-hmm. and yeah, she was just so fantastic and I just, I put a lot of, you know, the way that I felt after that birth and, and during the labor down to just how I was treated and how I was made to feel. Yeah, it was just, it was such an awesome, awesome birth. That's awesome. So your first three, were they, was it two vaginal and then a cesarean or were they all cesareans? So my first was vaginal and that was a very hands-on induction, very traumatic first birth. And then my second was an emergency cesarean failure to progress at seven centimeters and then and then a feedback and then daisy so two so one first vaginal then c-section yep. then two yep. v-backs yeah right okay just wanted to make sure that i got that right because <laughs> you know all the letters and numbers and everything gets yep. mixed around 
I think that's really so important though. What you, what you said just a few seconds ago that your care provider, choosing your care provider and making sure that they are 100% supportive of the type of birth that you want is one of the biggest things you can do to make sure that as you reflect back on your birth, that you feel comfortable and confident, not only with the outcome, but with how you're treated and how you were cared for. I think it's really, really important to note that like, and find a provider. Like if you, if you want a VBAC, you probably don't want to go to a provider that has a 30 to 40% C-section rate. That exactly. provider's probably not doing a lot of VBACs. You want to go to a provider that does a lot of VBACs, that loves VBACs, that loves supporting that, that believes in you, that that trusts you, and that can, that you can feel that confidence in you coming from them. And so yes. I think that that's really important to say. But Emmy, what okay. would you say? I'm going to echo basically what you're stating there of, I mean, we just heard an incredible story where you did a ton of work, Haley, and why go to a, a provider that's not going to work with you? Exactly, so yeah. that's that's my big thing with providers is like, yeah, maybe they're 20 minutes from your house, but I would rather drive six hours to make sure the person I'm working with is willing to work with me, right? Mm -hmm. So definitely a huge echo. And I think also to throw out there with your story is knowing your own limits and your own boundaries, you knew you needed rest. So yeah. you can have really empowering stories with an epidural when the tools are used correctly. Yes, so that's right, yeah. super awesome. Well, I love that too, because a lot of people are like, oh, I can't have a VBAC unless I want to go unmedicated or I, or do I have to go unmedicated or what about an epidural and VBAC? Will it like really decrease my chances? And, you know, I've seen sometimes epidurals slowly break down a little bit but most of the time I've seen epidurals used in birth is just like Emmy was saying as a tool and when they were truly needed because a, a pooped out body is not going to push out a baby. It's just not going to happen. Your body needs rest and an epidural can be a very effective tool when it's needed. And it, it sounds like you made the right call and your birth team made the right call and everyone let you labor what you like I or labor how you chose to. I really mm -hmm. wish that the United States would do that. Like just have midwifery led care unless you're high risk or you need to transfer care for some other reason I, I really wish that that could be our model here I just yeah I'm, here in the yeah, US though we have about three uh it's something like 13 OBs to one midwife so that's part of the reason we have that going wow. on wow yeah well yeah that is true that's a very good thing to point out i did not know that statistic emmy like and i love statistics <laughs> but no i that's that's important well i could digress and go on a tangent on our maternity system but i won't but because what i want to talk about is laboring in the water and water birth i know you didn't have a water birth mm. but and you but you had an epidural and it's really interesting because there's been a lot of studies out that evaluate whether laboring in the water can be a effective pain relief tool. How effective is it? What are the benefits? Are there any risks to it? All of those types of things. And so I just want to talk a little bit about that because it's been a while since we talked about water birth, but I also kind of want to talk about like water birth or laboring in the water even versus getting an epidural. And I really am going to dig deep into this article on the evidence-based birth homepage, or you can go to evidencebasedbirth.com slash waterbirth, and we'll link that in the show notes for you to easily find. But 
it's a really lengthy article. And that's one thing I really love about Re Rebecca Decker is she does such a great job on really digging into the research, the trials, the evidence and, and tearing it apart and making it easier to digest. So obviously I can't dig into the whole article. You should definitely go and read it yourself. But, but basically overall, the, it showed that um, laboring in the water doesn't show any extra risk for the mother or the baby. And it does help relieve pain. It leads to lesser need of pain medication or lesser need for pain medication. Does that make sense? Leading to less use of pain medication. That's how she worded it. <laughs> and then uh, another study found that mothers who labored in the water had less anxiety. And this says labored in the water, not birth. Okay. Mothers who labored in the water had less anxiety, better fetal positioning in the pelvis, less use of drugs to speed up labor, and were more satisfied with the privacy and the ability to move around. And there's a lot of uh, water birth studies that they review in that evidence-based birth article, but but I just love it when you talked about laboring in the water, how it just felt good. It felt um, natural to you. It felt like what you needed to do. But then but then you knew at the point when you needed more than mm, the water. Yeah. You knew there was a point. And do you know what? Asynclitic babies are such stinkers. You're yeah. right. She she was <laughs> very naughty. And, and that's probably why when your water broke, if her head was asynclitic, that's probably why things kind of um, took a little bit longer to fully progress because – yeah. Man, I've seen those asynclitic babies get get nice and wedged in there. But but um, my point is, laboring in the water. Most hospitals won't allow you to birth in the water. I think more and more hospitals are kind of allowing that. There's a couple here that will. Emmy, do you have any hospitals in your area that allow water birth? So they don't allow birth in water. However. There's a good amount of them that do laboring in water, which is pretty awesome. But as soon as you get pushy, you get pulled out of the water. However, yeah. uh, we we also in our area have access to about four or five different birth centers that allow you to birth in water. So yeah. we're in a pretty magical area here in Phoenix where we have a lot, a lot of choices. I'm sorry I said it was three feet above hell. <laughs> You know, that's not wrong. But Phoenix no. is really, <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> You're not wrong. So. <laughs> you know what? I didn't mind my time in Phoenix. It was just super hot, like super hot. I but mean, then I moved to, then I went to basic training and lived in Georgia, which is just a whole different thing. <laughs> just sweaty um, hot. Like, <laughs> so anyways. Yeah. Yeah. But, um. <laughs> I think it's amazing to have access to water, to have access to an epidural. One of the other ones that I really love to throw out there to my clients to look up is uh, if they would be interested in nitrous, which can also be a really good alternative because it doesn't stay in your system. It doesn't pass through the placenta or into baby, but you get that little bit of cutting off the edge of what a true contraction can feel like. Yeah. Do do most of your hospitals offer that or do you have to do it pretty much at a birth center in Phoenix? So we have quite a few that also offer nitrous and only one birth center that offers it. So yeah, it's, it's an option. So interesting because here's kind of opposite. One hospital offers it and most of the birth centers do have it in Utah or at least in my area in Utah, Salt Lake City, Utah County area. So interesting. Yeah. But I know that like a lot in like in England, they use nitrous a lot. Australia. What about you, um, Haley? What about, did you have that as an option for you? No, uh, nitrous. Yeah. It's like laughing gas, like at the dentist. I don't know if it's something different down there. Down yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's readily available to, to everybody here. Good. Yeah. 
That's awesome. I I really think that they need to make travel size bottles of nitrous and give them out by prescription for moms with anxiety. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so if you want to go in halvesies on that business model, I am down. <laughs> All right. So I'm I am a sweet midwife. It's slow rolling, but um once I get through <laughs> I'll see about the legalities of that. <laughs> for sure, for sure, for sure. All right, Haley, I want to ask you two questions before we go. Emmy, don't go anywhere. <laughs> Haley, your questions. I asked you when you fill, or we asked you when you filled out your form, but it's okay if you don't remember the answers. You can just make new ones. But we try to ask two questions to our guests now. And the first question is, what is a secret lesson or something no one really talks about that you wish you would have known ahead of time when preparing for birth? I think preparing for VBAC birth, I didn't know that having an epidural was an option because of what I had read online. There was no mm. epidural and there was no option of anything else. It had to be natural or C-section. So I was really really happy to hear that I did have that option That's because good. it was such a big aid in my birth in the end. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think a lot of people just don't know that it's possible. There's a lot of myths out there about VBAC, but yeah, cool. Good answer. <laughs> All right. Next question is what is your best tip for someone preparing for VBAC? Yeah, it has to come down to your care provider. It's finding somebody that fully aligns with the birth that you are planning for to be able to put your best foot forward you have to have somebody that's going to be right in your corner and not just yeah they have to not just be VBAC supportive but a real advocate for you as well mm -hmm. yeah I absolutely love that I love what you wrote in your in your response you said you didn't realize it until the day you were giving birth watching your midwife advocate for you over and over standing at your door like a guard and ushering unnecessary people away everybody's so care provider should be like that she was like a oh. sentinel at your door just like she was like a guard dog she there. was though she was just barking orders and telling people to step back it was just incredible that's amazing i wish everyone could have that that kind of support it makes me sad that i don't know just sometimes the stories you hear or witness even of providers i I'm working on a, an email series for birth workers right now. And I asked in our community of doulas, of VBAC doulas, we have almost 200 VBAC doulas in our community in Facebook wow. now. And it's just like mind blowing to me. Yeah, it's crazy. And I, I love our community of doulas. They're a really great group of, of people. And I yeah, asked them, are. I'm like, what is the biggest barrier that you face? Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> What's the biggest barrier you face? when supporting or trying to support VBAC or TOLAC parents and almost every single answer, I'm telling you, almost every single answer was from doulas saying like what to do when your client has a provider that is not supportive and you know, they're not supportive and they know they're, they're you, you know, your clients know that your, their provider is not supportive, but they won't change providers. Like it's really, really hard as a doula clearly for many doulas to sit there and watch a, a parent go through a birth experience that could have gone differently had they chosen another provider. And it's really kind of a fine line. And Emmy, maybe you have some opinions on this because I've been talking back and forth with this 
about Megan for, for some time now, but birth advocacy, like in the birth room ahead of time, obviously we try to edu our, educate our clients as much as we can about what makes a supportive provider, what the red flags are. And, and sometimes your clients see the red flags and, and they choose to stay for whatever reason. And sometimes it's hard to come to terms with that as a doula, even though you don't know yes. why that yes. client might be staying with that provider. Who knows? Maybe, maybe the, you know, the universe or God or whatever you believe in, um, has a plan and that person has to stay with that provider for whatever reason. But um, watching them struggle through a birth with an unsupported provider that everybody knew was unsupportive beforehand um, is a big struggle. And where do you advocate? Like, where, where's the line as a doula? Like, because I know that as doulas, like there's this big call right now for doulas to be advocates in the birth space. But I feel like That's we have to really be careful because you can't go in yes. there like yes. with, your, with your hammer and your chains and, and saying, no, don't touch her cervix. Turn that Pitocin down. <laughs> We're not going to give her an epidural. Yeah. Blah, yeah. blah, blah. Fill up that tub. You know, like, because, <laughs> because that type of advocacy, I mean, and, and there's a time and place for it. And it's not in the middle of the birth. Like, obviously, no. yes. If your client is saying, no, take your fingers out of my vagina while the provider is refusing to uh, stop doing a cervical check you can jump in. You should jump in, I believe anyways, and say, Hey, she said, stop. There's a difference between that and trying to navigate through an unsupportive environment. Like, I don't know. I mean, what are your thoughts? So, I'm just kind of, so where's the balance where, how I treat it is just like you treat your, your friend who's in a crappy relationship. You just yeah. keep bringing <laughs> it up, right? Like, Oh, yeah. how is Joe? I'm sure he's, a mm -hmm. he did that again. Weird. So I have a guy that you can talk to, or an He's OB really you can cute. talk to. The midwife is great. She's awesome. How about you just do the free meeting? And because they yeah. did your well woman's check does not mean that they should give birth to your, like be a part of the birth of your baby, mm -hmm. right? Like, and really comparing it. A lot of my clients like finally give over once they realize like, would you bring your Tesla to a Ford mechanic? No. <laughs> Because that's not that. their purpose, right? Their purpose yeah. is like daily checkups, that kind of thing. Not a car with a battery. So right now mm -hmm. you've got a car with a battery, more specialized. It's going to be more expensive probably. Like, let's just get real. This is tougher stuff. So let's get someone mm -hmm. who's prepared for that and actually can add, like be with you through it. And of course I get people who don't listen. And I have mm -hmm. to understand why they feel comfortable in that space and that's where yeah. i think it's important on our side not to let our biases come through right like yeah because th that does happen with me like on occasion i've even had it where someone's like well i i want continuous monitoring and i want movement okay Th those like don't that. go together <laughs> I, I, I know, so the conversation we had, and then she was like, well, my provider said it's possible with the wireless monitors. And I was like, oh, now I understand why you've been set up with this notion. All right. Now I can like come off of my own biases and like, all mm -hmm. right, we have a different tool that I didn't realize was in the tool bag. Right. Yeah. So, and really that provider was trying to bring comfort to that person while also like skirting lines. So I think that's also important on a, on a doula level is remember that providers are also humans trying to do their best. Right. Mm -hmm. So absolutely. Those are the balls you juggle treat, yeah. treat it like a bad relationship, but also oh, realize I like maybe, advice. 
maybe they're also human and they're doing their best to also juggle the balls. So juggle the balls, juggle all the balls. <laughs> I think that that's really good advice. And, and honestly, most of my VBAC clients now, if they have a, a provider that I know to be not very supportive of VBAC, I kind of just like intuitively spend a lot more time with them prenatally. And we go over a lot about what a supportive provider looks like, what evidence says for X, Y, and Z, and send them a lot of information. And we talk a lot about their plans and what they want. And then, and then before too long, they realize that their provider is not in line with what they want. And then I'm ready right there, like you said, with a list of recommendations for new boyfriends or, you know, new providers, new relationship, new car, whatever you want to call it. And they end up switching. And I can think of so many clients that, especially VBAC after multiple cesarean, there's this one provider in the area that like everybody recommends and he is not VBAC after multiple cesarean friendly. He's not. And for some reason, everyone refers to him. And I even had a client he told once, he like kind of like sighed a little bit and like did a little side eye and says, I don't know why everyone <laughs> refers to me for VBAC after three C-sections. Like he told that to my client who was going for a VBAC after three C-sections. And she ended up going <laughs> with a different hospital and having her baby, her VBAC after three C-sections at 41 weeks and five days. And had she stayed with that provider, she would not have had her VBAC after three C-sections. I can say that with confidence. And so I don't know. It's just this, it's just this it's dance. Incredible. I think it's just a dance. Incredible. Incredible. It's just a dance to go on and play around because you got you you have to be respectful of the birth space and the staff because the nurses and the obstetricians they're all just trying to do their job the best that they know how and the best that they can do, and sometimes they're they're tired and sometimes they're having a bad day and but I think yeah I don't know it's just a struggle I think I'm gonna ask Kristen Piscucci from Birth Monopoly to come on the podcast and well, talk about go. advocacy and knowing your rights and things like that. And she's going to just knock it out of the park. We're going to all have (laughs) answers to our questions. (laughs) But that's a big thing of mine is my, my purpose is to guide you to know how to be an advocate for yourself. Right. I'm not here to make decisions for people. So yeah, that's the hope, right. That we give them the skill of advocacy because that's going to be important for their baby that just arrived and to make decisions for. Absolutely. All right, Emmy. Well, it's about time to wrap up. How can people find you if they are in the lovely Phoenix, Arizona? I am Birth Wizard on everything. I am Birth Wizard on uh, com. I am Birth Wizard on Facebook. I am Birth Wizard on Instagram. I am Birth Wizard on Tumblr and Twitter and Pinterest. Like literally and everywhere. Dot com? You, oh, dot com. I got it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> awesome. So. Just shout out an email and you can summon me and we can talk about VBAC or whatever birth you need to have. Summon the birth wizard. I love it. All right. Well, Haley, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. It was great to listen to you. And I'm so glad that you have the support that you needed for your VBAC. Cool. Thank you so much for having me. It was really great. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to the vbacklink.com slash share and submit your story. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to the vbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.